Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. The audio for this episode comes from one of the sermons given this past Sunday. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by what you hear. The glorious kings of old are long gone. The people have been forcibly removed from their land and their beautiful temple. Their beautiful temple in Jerusalem has been looted and destroyed. As they languish in grief and trauma in Babylon, the people are told by God to build houses while in exile, to take wives and have sons and daughters, and to seek the welfare, God's shalom, the seek. God Shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile to pray for that city on its behalf for in its peace, in its Shalom, you will find your peace. Makes sense, doesn't it? God seems to be saying, settle in, have good lives and do good for I am still with you wherever you may be. Fast forward through about 70 years of exile, and we come to this passage from Isaiah read this morning. God has been warning in the preceding chapters that he is up to something new. Don't remember the former things of old, God says. No, I'm about to do something new. Do you not perceive it? God is beginning to shake the people out of their languorous lives of exile. So now in today's passage, God reveals to the people what he is up to. God is at work, as always. But this time, this time, what a shock. God is using someone who does not even know him to bring about his purposes, his plans, For his people. It is Cyrus, king of Persia, who God is saying in this passage, God will call by name and even adopt. Even though Cyrus may not know God or even know that he's been assigned by God to do this work on God's behalf. Huh. And Cyrus will upend their lives of exile when he overthrows Babylon and allows the children of Israel to return to their land and rebuild their temple. But more importantly in this passage, lest the people decide to turn Cyrus into their hero, their savior, God is reminding them that he is the one He is the one doing all of this. God may have chosen someone who does not know him to liberate God's people from exile, but it is God who is empowering Cyrus by leveling the mountains and breaking gates of bronze to clear his path and is revealing treasures hidden away for Cyrus's benefit. But Cyrus, let's be clear, Cyrus is merely God's agent. So keep that in mind. 
God reminds the people saying, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I arm Cyrus, even though he does not know me, so that others may know me. From the rising of the sun into its setting, there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make prosperity and disaster. Time out. Really? Disaster? That's going to preach some other time, not today. I'll let you do that, Wesley. I make prosperity and disaster. I'm the Lord and I do all these things. God is staking his claim on his people as their savior, their hero, their king, their God, for there is no one else who has done these things. It is to God alone that people should direct their gratitude, loyalty, praise, and worship. Seems we humans are quick to create our heroes, our kings, our gods, our own personal gods. And God knows this about us. We can see that early in the story of the Hebrew people of the time when they besieged the prophet Samuel to ask the Lord for a king so that they could be like all the other nations and have a king who would fight their battles. From then on, we read of how some leaders and kings led the people in the ways of the Lord while others led them astray. So fast forward again to today's gospel reading with the Pharisees taxing Jesus about taxes. Suddenly, a new king, a Caesar, enters the narrative. But Caesars were not merely emperors or kings. They claimed they were a god. So to ha even have a coin with the image of God Caesar would be an abomination for faithful Jews living under a law that requires them to make no images and have no other gods but God. Since his triumphant arrival into Jerusalem, Jesus has been teaching parable after parable, attacking the leadership of the religious leaders of his day, causing the Pharisees to plot and attempt to entrap him. Knowing of their desire to diminish his influence in the eyes of the people, Jesus calls out and then supplies a demonstration of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Show me a coin, Jesus asks. Show me a coin when the Pharisees' disciples quiz him over the law and the lawfulness of paying taxes to the emperor. And so a Roman coin, a denarius, used to pay the annual census tax to the Romans, is pulled out from one of their pockets and shown to Jesus. This is from the Pharisees, who assiduously claim to follow the law. They are walking around with a coin that has an image of a god on it. Oh, the sacrilege. Oh, those hypocrites. And then comes probably one of the most familiar and misunderstood lines in the whole New Testament. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's 
and give to God what is God's. That one word, and, it's a conjunction if you remember your old grade school grammar. That one word unfortunately seems in a lot of people's minds to equate the two different kinds of giving of which Jesus speaks. Would Jesus really think giving to Caesar is comparable to what we should be giving to God? Really? But that's how so many of us interpret this. The ancient church did not think this passage was about the Christian's relationship between church and state or even about money. No, in their writings, they interpreted Jesus' charge as being about the total obedience which should be given to God, our undivided obligation and devotion to God. Jesus, in essence, is saying if Caesar is due taxes, then you might as well give money to Caesar for it is his money. But everything, everything you are, everything you have, really belongs to God. All that we are, my friends, and all that we have are God's. We have merely been given stewardship of it. God's claim on each one of us is total and complete, just like it has been since exile in Babylon and the Garden of Eden. Yet we keep forgetting that it is God who is in charge. God is our king. Instead, we live lives of divided allegiances because of this misunderstood passage. All is God's. All that we are and all that we have are God's. And more than any other time of year, stewardship season, we have to grapple with what we are doing with what we have been given, be it our time, our talent, and our treasure. The good news is that we have been given enough. We have been given enough, and some of us have been given more than enough. Now, I don't really care what you pledge to St. Martin's. I really don't. But what I do care about is how we continue to do the good work here that God has given us to do in and through St. Martin's on God's behalf. Sounding familiar? And what I really care about is our souls and how we respond to God's faithful abundance that we have been given. Recently, I came across an old story I had heard some years ago. It was about a forced march in a wilderness land. Explorers had conscripted some aboriginals to quickly lead and guide them through unmapped territory. For days and days, they were driven to march until finally one day, the native peoples just sat down on the baggage and the gear they had been hauling and refused to budge. No amount of urging could get them up and moving forward again. 
Finally, one of the tribe members explained, we are waiting for our souls to catch up. We are waiting for our souls to catch up. My friends, we continue to bifurcate our souls, allocating and splitting up parts of ourselves to different kings in our lives, be it our school, our employer, our family, our church, our nation. When these are the very blessings we have been given to us by God, they are the blessings. Let me repeat that. All of these different loyalties are really blessings by God, given to us by God. Like the natives who have become separated from their souls, we are being driven by the forces in our lives and culture to split into opposing camps. Like those who are good and those who are bad people, those who are black, those who are white people, those who are holy and those who are profane, those who are red and those who are blue. And oh, you fill in the blank. We're hearing a lot of those these days, aren't we? And I don't know about you, but this living lives of divided loyalties is making me exhausted. Yes, we live in exile, for our true home is in heaven with God. But it is time we remember we are called to bring God's peace, God's shalom, wherever we may live in. We need to remember that God is our king, Jesus is our savior, and any other distracting loyalties or concerns that separate and divide us from one another and from God, we might just need to put under subjection to our king as we recommit our undivided hearts to him today and each and every day. Please pray with me, friends. Good and gracious God, you are our king and we give you honor and glory and praise. But more than that, we give you ourselves. Help us to not put those things you've given us, those, those blessings ahead of you and our need to bring about your peace to those that we encounter each and every day. Use us, we pray, so that people may know you. And we bring about your kingdom here on earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Harding. Be sure to rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps more folks discover our podcast. If you'd like to know more about St. Martin's, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.